1: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 215, and we are recording on January 21st. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello!
0: Hello! Welcome to the 7th month of January.
1: (laughs) It does feel like it's been really long, but also really fast, as time is wont to do. What is time? Time is a flood circle. (laughs) It's that wibbly-wobbly timey-wobbly thing. (laughs) That's what it is. That's what January is. Also, it's 9. nineteen degrees here today. Nice. I don't have chili and it's like a travesty. I'm making stew today. My life is hard. Yeah, I need to do that thing. Uh, Well, anyway, hello, everyone. (laughs) We hope that you have stew or chili or whatever it is that you prefer when it is cold out. And thank you for joining us today. If you are new to the show, here's how it works. Folks like y'all, or maybe you specifically, send (laughs) in email or uh, form requests for books of what you should read next. Like I said, you can send them via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And you can ask for suggestions for you, for a family member or friend or a loved one, for book club, for gifting, just for whatever. And we will do our best to find you your next great read. If you have a time-sensitive request, please put time-sensitive and then the date you're hoping to hear back by and either the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We'll do our best. If we're not going to get to it on air, we might send you an email. So keep an eye out for those. And I. Y'all, so we have, like, years worth of questions for the record, and I have started going through the backlog to send along recommendations, and I apologize that they are, like, three years late. Uh. We only have so many shows and so many questions to work with, um, but we are working on those, so, you know, keep an eye out for that, too, maybe. We have some feedback for Jessica from Eric, who wanted complex, character-driven fantasy. Eric says, some of my favorites, the Bad Trilogy, book one is City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty, Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, and the City of Spires series, book one is the City of Strife.
0: So many cities of things.
1: So many ci- Oh, it's a good, you know what? That would be a fun list is like books, fantasy books with city in the title. City
0: of insert emotion or object
1: or or (laughs) color or noun or like bodily fluid city of blood noun of noun and nouns (laughs) (laughs) that but the city game maybe that will be a post someday okay
0: it's like the new ya title generator
1: yeah seriously Um, Okay, so thank you, Eric, for that feedback. I'm going to read our first question, and then we'll talk about our first sponsor and get into our book picks. So our first question is from Anonymous, who says, I'm hoping to find a couple of books, fiction or nonfiction, that delve into the complicated world of mother-daughter relationships. I don't necessarily have a bad relationship with my own mother, but we have a very difficult time communicating about anything real, and I struggle with how much she depends on my needing her. Her to do things for me, even though I am almost 30 and have always been very independent. Books are often my therapy, and I'm looking for stories that will help inspire and motivate me with ideas on how to better our relationship or at least make me feel like I am not alone in this. All right, so first, our sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at today's episode is brought to you by greenleaf book group no summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk comes the page turning psychological thriller, the trouble with drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dad adapt- Dazzling perfection, to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters, and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced, slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. Complicated mother-daughter stories. Amanda, go.
0: Okay, I picked a novel um, called Young Jane Young by Gabriel Zevin, which is not going to give you ideas i don't think for how to better your relationship with your mother but it will help you feel like you're not alone in having a really complicated situation with her because this book is entirely about complicated mother-daughter relationships. so young jane young uh, in a like previous life when she was younger was a girl named aviva who graduates from high school goes to college and starts working for a political campaign with a oh is he a house of representatives I think he's a congressman, um, and has an affair with the congressman. She's super young. She's like 19 or 20. Um, and she gets caught and it turns into a whole thing. And her career is totally destroyed. His is totally fine. Uh, his marriage is totally fine. She, uh, you know, reaps all these consequences as is so often the case. And her relationship with her mother, Rachel, and how they handle the aftermath of what happens is a big part of this story. And then, Jay, Aviva, Jane, whatever, moves to a new state, starts totally over and like rebuilds herself as a wedding planner. Um, and then decides that she's going to run for local office. I think it's like a mayor or a city council seat or something of this like really tiny town that she's moved to. It's been, you know, a decade longer since her, the scandal. She's got her own daughter now named Ruby. Um, and the person that she's running against decides that he's going to use her past. He like finds out who she really is, uh, as a, you know, bargaining tool to like win this election. And so it's Jane dealing, like, reconciling with her past, Rachel reconciling with her past, and then Ruby, um, who is Jane's daughter, figuring out who her mother is potentially, um, while also trying to, like, navigate being, I think she's, like, 12 or 13 in the book, um, and struggling with, like, her own identity, and who am I outside of my mother? She doesn't know who her father is, so she's got uh, just, like, the one, you know, she's really close to her mom, but that, com- that relationship could be really complicated. So there's a lot of different relationship in this book on the spectrum of mother-daughter closeness like rachel and jane are not close they don't speak for many years throughout the book in different um, sections of it and then ruby and jane are super close but have this have lots of secrets between each other a lot of the relationships are dysfunctional but also functional at the same time as you know real life relationships tend to be so there's something really for almost any kind of um, relationship with that you might have with your mom or with your own uh, daughters so that's young jane young by gabriel Devon.
1: Love that book. Mm -hmm. I have a memoir for you that I just finished that is really so haunting and moving and ooh such beautiful prose. It's The Magical Language of Others by E. J. Coe. And this comes with trigger warnings, uh, a bunch, for suicidal thoughts and attempts, disordered eating, domestic violence, sexual assault, and depression. So, you know, <laughs> there's, there's some serious business in here. This is so interesting. It is a memoir that each chapter opens with a letter from... Ko's mother to her written while Ko was a teenager. When she was 15, her parents went to like to returned to South Korea from America uh, to for a job that was gonna like pay a ton and you know give them a better life. But they it didn't make sense to bring their teenage uh daughter and her older brother with them. So uh Yunji, E.J. Ko, she moves in with her brother uh, who has a house in California. She's 15. And she has to now deal with being, you know, completely separated from her parents at like a very diff- difficult moment in her life. And so each chapter, you get the letter that her mother wrote to her. You never get a letter that she wrote back, which is really interesting. And then you get uh, Ko's sort of reminiscences on what was going on in her life, in her mind, and some context for the letter. And she also tells stories about her mother's childhood, her mother's mother, her father's mother. You get this, like, intergenerational look at the women in her family, who have been through some really intense, both like political and historical moments, you know, the separation of Korea into North and South Korea, um, war with Japan, like they've lived through horrors in certain cases, and struggled with anxiety and depression, which Yoonji also struggles with. And so you see her working through like all of that sort of intergenerational trauma, and then this very intense experience of feeling abandoned by her mother, who, you know, left her alone when she was a teenager um, and sent her all of these letters that are just really heartfelt and like also like I was uncomfortable honestly because it's just like you know her mom wants her to be happy and says like you have to be happy for me like this is hard I know but like be happy and it's just really there's so much weight in these letters and stories and Co writes about it with such, um, like, frustration. But then also over the course of the book, you see her sort of as she grows up and has different experiences, like how that shifts her relationship with her mother and with her understanding of her mother, you know, leaving her behind as she feels it. So it's really fascinating. Ko is also a poet, and I think you can tell her word choice is just, like, it kind of is magical. Um, But this memoir is 100% about how difficult it is to talk to other people when there's so much emotional weight. And, you know, I just I feel like this really nails all of those complexities. And even though I don't have the same relationship or experiences as the author, like it got me in those mother-daughter feels. So, again, that's The Magical Language of Others by E.J. Cope.
0: All right, our next question is from Ella, who says, A dear friend of mine was homeschooled in a restrictive and abusive environment. The only books he's ever read are The Bible and Twilight. Later in adulthood, he also suffered a traumatic brain injury, so his ability to concentrate is sometimes low. He's recently decided to go for his GED, and we're all very happy for him. One of the things he wants to do is read some of the books on the high school curriculum, but honestly, I'm not sure where to start him. I don't want to discourage him by starting him on something like Pride and Prejudice or Lord of the Flies, where both the vocabulary and the syntax would be unfamiliar to him. I don't think he could parse the sentence structure. I'm trying to push him towards Stephen King or other really popular, compelling stories until he gets in the physical habit of reading, but he would really like something quote-unquote literary. Can you recommend something classic but plain American English and good for fostering a love of reading and someone who is always been denied that opportunity. Okay, I'll keep going. I picked To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, which is a book I would not usually recommend on this show, um, because it has, you know, whatever. It's like very it's got a lot of problems. It's problematic. But I think this really fits what you're looking for, because To Kill a Mockingbird in like every survey done by a major literary publication in history, it always comes up as being like America's favorite book, right? Other than the Bible. Um, and it is written from the point of view of a very young girl. Scout is like, eight, I think, in the book. Um, so it is very simple. The sentence structure is really simple. Um, it's written in very easy to understand language. The dialogue is really simple. Um, and it's also a classic of American literary fiction. So it's taught in schools. I read it in school. Um, and so I think it would really ring all of the bells that he's looking for. Um But I would just give it, like, if you hand this book to him, I would give it a caveat of, like, when you're done reading this, it's a good idea to also go read books set in this time period written by African Americans and not just, you know, a white lady from Alabama. As beloved as the book is, I have a son named Atticus, like I get it, but also, you know, it's got problems and I don't think that we should hand the book out without, without mentioning them. Um, but I do think that it would fit, uh, the like difficulty level and also literary requirements that he's kind of looking for. So that's To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee.
1: I picked I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou, which comes with trigger warnings for child abuse and substance abuse. Um, and I picked it because, yeah, I think that her prose is so clear and so straightforward and so vivid. I think that also, you know, because she is talking about her own childhood and then moving forward in time. It does have like a simplicity to it because she is, you know, coming from that child experience and she's tackling very difficult issues. But, you know, this friend of yours has also dealt with very difficult issues. And so there might be something that speaks to him there. And I did read it in school and it was such a mind blowing book to me. And it was not like anything else I had read at that point. And if he's really only read the Bible in Twilight, like this will also not be like anything else he's read up until this point. And I think her grappling with, you know, faith and abuse and parents and grandparents and, you know, intergenerational trauma is a word I've said now twice on the show, um, or phrase rather, but like, you know, grappling with all of those things are, these are issues that are real to him. And I think it's, you know, but she treats it in such a straightforward and, um, what is the word I want? Like, a canny way, you know, it's like, it's not delicate, but it's, It's gentle. It's gentle. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. So I think, yeah, I think this one would make a big impression and it's definitely something that is and should be on high school curriculums. And again, that's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. All right. Our next question is from Ashley, who is looking for a book recommendation for my mom. In the last several years, we've been having conversations about climate change and the climate crisis. She knows it's an issue but doesn't Hasn't had the sense of urgency or engagement around it that I do. She's never shown an interest in diving deeper into the topic until I was home for Thanksgiving. She asked if I had a recommendation for a book or podcast that could explain it and why it's such a crisis in a way that's easy to follow. I heard your recommendation recently for "So You Want to Talk About Race" by Ijeoma Oluo, and I'm wondering if there's a book like that for climate change. I feel like this is an opportunity to really get her engaged, and I don't want to mess it up. Amanda, what did you pick?
0: Okay, I picked The Uninhabitable Earth, Life After Warming by David Wallace-Wells. Um, this is a pretty short book. It's about 300 pages, which I think is pretty short for some, like, such a big topic, and was originally published as an article, I think in the Times, um, about what life is going to be like once we have gotten to global, what, like, once the, the climate has warmed, you know, not is in the process of warming, but is to the maximum point where it's going to be, which is going to be very soon. Um, and he is going through what that's going to look like, not, just in like a scientific way, but in an everyday lived experience. Here's what it's going to be like when you go outside. Here's what it's going to be like when you go to the grocery store kind of way. And it is both macro and micro. So like these little things that are going to change, but also the big things that are going to change um, and how those are going to lead to crisis after crisis after cascading crisis. So if, for example, um, dealing with climate refugees, people in the Southern Hemisphere are very likely going to lose their countries, are going to become uninhabitable because of combinations of drought and flooding. So people, like, in South and Central America are going to continue fleeing North, and what is the U.S. going to do with all those refugees? What we've done so far, which is try to keep them out, and, like, eventually, according to this book and this way of thinking, we might get to a place where nuclear weapons are involved and what that's going to look like. Like, he's taking it to uh, the—it's a mixture of, like— Science and psychology, like how humans, not just what's going to happen to, for example, you know, people living in Bangladesh, but how people around the world are going to respond to that based on how we have traditionally and historically responded to refugees. And it's not just people in other countries, like, you know, pretty soon Florida will no longer exist. And what's going to happen to all the people who live in Florida? Like, are people in Georgia going to accept them into their state? I don't know. Who knows? So, and the reason why I think this book is such a useful tool for someone who doesn't understand climate is because it's not bogged down with a lot of scientific jargon. And while, of course, you should know the science behind what's happening, and he does explain that, um, the real life consequences of what's going to happen if we continue with our level of inaction are, are, I think, a, a better way to get somebody engaged and involved. Because it's not like, oh, you know, the ocean in the northernmost part of Russia is melting. It's like, yes, but also your neighbors who live on that river might die, you know. And so bringing it home to like your literal home, what's going to happen to your actual house, uh, I think is a more useful way of bringing someone who doesn't understand what's going on into the conversation. So that's The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace-Wells.
1: Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, correct, but also, yeah. Uh, I picked Climate Changed by Philippe Squarzoni, which is a graphic novel, and I'm reading it right now. And I really like how? Uh, first of all, I love the illustrations. He's got a very interesting style. It feels—I I don't know. So, actually, this is this moment where I wish I knew like what the schools of illustration are. It's like realistic, but also very decidedly not trying to be realism. Like it's like this is a cartoon, but not cartoony. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, I like the illustrations <laughs> a lot. Uh, and this is interesting because it is part like personal you know it's grounded in his own personal experiences but it's also part documentary he is an investigative journalist or and an artist and he goes around you know talking interviewing experts looking at the research and then also talking to people and like thinking about its effect on his own life and looking at potential solutions and, you know, some that have been proposed that are actually not solutions at all, but false promises. It's a really broad ranging look at all of the different aspects of climate change. And I like that it is grounded in this personal, sort of like what Amanda was talking about, but in the present day, like grounded in the personal effects that people are feeling and seeing right now. And then also talking about the science and the future and what we can do and what we can't do and, you know, what our best options are. So, and, you know, graphic novel. So it reads fast and it's very nice to look at and it's very professionally done. And I think this could be an interesting way for her to get into it. So again, that's Climate Changed by Philippe Squarzoni.
0: Okay, our next question is from Emmy, who says, I've set the goal for myself to try to not read books by straight white men this year, going through at least March of next year, and have had some difficulty finding read-alikes for the rereads I've been craving. I really want to read something in which the City of London is a character. My go-to would be Rivers of London series by Ben Aronovich, or London, a biography by Peter Ackroyd, both of which I love. Okay, so I picked a novel for you. I picked uh, N.W. by Zadie Smith, which stands for Northwest. And this is a difficult book, I will say. Like, difficult, um, not in content, but in style. Zadie Smith is a very kind of, like, modernist writer. I don't even know if that's the technically correct term to use for her style, but... um, even sort of a maximalist, I'd even say, like, uh, Joycean. I'm using a lot of comparative <laughs> words here, but you know, it's hard, like getting through the book is hard. Um, but it is compelling and really fascinating. She's, a, she's such a good writer. She's so talented, but it's going to be work. Um, and it's set in Northwest London and it's following four people who are four locals, uh, Leah, Natalie, and then I'm sorry, I don't remember the dude's names, which feels appropriate. Um, and they are, trying to, like, make their, you know, adult lives happen. It's kind of coming of agey um, outside of Caldwell, which is the council estate where they grew up. So you're following all four of them through the various everyday stuff of living in a big city like London, but also in a little corner of a big city like the Northwest, specifically, section of London. Uh, and so this is a book about modern life in a really diverse um metropolis, and how that can be both suffocating and really lonely, um, how people find pockets of connection, and then also spend a lot of, you know, large portions of their day not speaking to anyone in any kind of real way about anything that matters. Um, some of the book is told in dialogue that's written, like with dashes instead of quotes. So there are a lot of stylistic choices that she's making that really require you to be an engaged reader. I don't know if this is something that I would read like on my commute, or maybe even not in audio, because you really need to Like, use your eyes to kind of discern what she's doing on the page. Uh, But it does get easier and more traditional in narrative as the book goes along. But London, specifically Northwest London, is very obviously a character here. Like, this is a book about four people and their lives. But really, it's a book about this one city and life in this one city, in this one area of this one city right now. So that's NW by Zadie Smith.
1: My pick is also more along the literary lines than the fantasy. It's Brick Lane by Monica Ali, which comes with a trigger warning for domestic violence. And this is from my TBR. I haven't read it yet, but it's been on my list for a while. And I'm really hoping to get to it at some point in the future. Um, And this is set in East London. And it is told through the eyes of two Bangladeshi sisters who have very different paths. Uh, the pretty one, Hasina, elopes to a love marriage, and Nazneen is an arranged marriage, uh, Who and she is wedded to a much older man who lives in London. So, London. And she ends up, you know, living in the city housing project. And is sort of trapped in her apartment and in this building, which is also, you know, lots of other immigrants live in this building and are all having their own different experience of how much they are or are not assimilating to East London. And then the story follows the two and, you know, the surprising paths that their lives take. And when I was doing research for this question, everybody kept talking about how vividly this city is brought to life. And so it seemed to me that this would be a great option for you. So again, that's Brick Lane by Monica Ali. And it is time for our next
2: sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies. And that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon's siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, Thank mm-hmm. you. All right, our next question is
1: from Regina, who says, I'm looking for a captivating audiobook. Bonnie Turpin is a favorite narrator of mine. I'm not in the mood for humor or satire. I love literary fiction, and I'm specifically looking for books by and about people of the African diaspora. Do you have any recommendations for me? I'm desperate for a good listen. Favorite listens to date include The Count of Monte Cristo, The Seasons of Binto Blackbird, Dread Nation, and Children of Blood and Bone. I'm going to stop talking for from (laughs) (laughs)
0: okay um i picked homegoing by ya jesse which has a trigger warning for slavery and all the terrible things that come along with that um i love this book so much i love this book so much and the audio i didn't look about who the narrator is but i will look it up and put it in the show notes um it's a male narrator and he has just like the most it's such a soothing it's such a nice soothing voice Uh, but this is a book that starts in the 1700s in ghana and it's about two half sisters who are born into two different villages they don't know each other um afia and essie and afia is married off to a guy from england who lives in cape coast castle which is was like a coastal fortress, like the last stop for uh Africans who were kidnapped and sold into slavery. So she is in like the rooms above the dungeon with this just horrible man. Um and unbeknownst to her, her half sister Essie, who she doesn't know, is in the dungeons being sold off uh the Gold Coast into America. And so you meet these two sisters, uh, you know, when they're young adults, and then you follow their story To the present day. So obviously it's not them, but their uh, descendants and the different lines of their two families. So Afia stays in Africa and her uh, kids and her descendants grow up through these, like, through warfare in Ghana, um, and through the slave trade, colonization into modern day Ghanaian society. And then Essie and her kids in America. Start in the South in the plantations, there's a the civil war, the Great Migration, like you follow her family line through all of these huge upheavals in American history um, until you get to, you know, their great times, however many um, grandchildren who live in 2017 and are like going to college. So you're following these um, just really long threads of generational um threads i was that was really redundant you're following these really (laughs) long generational threads thank you from the 18th century to the present day um through people who could not trace their own uh you know genealogy back that far for obvious reasons for these reasons actually uh it's just such an engrossing book and i love i love i'm like making the weirdest face right now (laughs) i love a multi-generational novel like it just oh it's so good like seeing that stuff as it's passed down from generation to generation, uh, like inherited trauma and culture and uh, language and food, all of it um, is fascinating enough in real life. But when you put it in the page, you can you can weave so much more into it and do so much more with it. Uh, it's just a brilliant book. So that's Homegoing by Yaa Gyasi.
1: Hard cosign on that book, although I have not listened to the audio. Uh, I also have not listened to the audio of the book I'm recommending, but I have heard amazing things about it. It's Book of Night Women by Marlon James, and it's narrated by Robin Miles, who is like a contributor favorite up around here. She has been talked about so much, um, and I am very, as regular listeners will know, like new slash not involved in the audio world, but like she's like one of the three audiobook narrators whose name's I know because of how much the folks around me love her. Um so the book of night women uh, also is about slavery and related violence. And it is a really intense book. And here's why I think it would be amazing on audio, especially with a good narrator. It is it is written in patois. Uh, it is the story of a young woman named Lilith who is born into slavery on a Jamaican sugar plantation towards the end of the 18th century. And she, her birth, like, is, you know, accompanied by like omens and portents. And the women around her believe that she holds a special place in the world and these women who call themselves the night women have been planning a slave revolt for a very long time and as Lilith grows up they decide to bring her into their plans and Lilith is grappling with like who does she want to be? Who can she be in this world? And so it is a really complex, fascinating story, but because it's told in dialect, it's like it, ta- it took a while to get into in prose. And I think hearing somebody read it to you, like it just goes straight into your ears. Ugh, that's got to be an amazing experience. This is one I've marked down for that. I When I'm ready to revisit it, I would like to revisit it in audio. And I will say that like my first shelf talker for this book from like a million years ago when I first read it, um, it was published in 2009, was, was something along the lines of this book will crawl into your brain and lay eggs. So you know, just like that's that's my short review of this book. Uh, so again, that's the book of Night Women by Marlon James, narrated by Robin Miles. <laughs> short title, yeah.
0: Okay, our next question is from a chronic warrior who says, I was recently diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and I'm looking for a novel that shows me I'm not alone. I'm not looking for something about social anxiety, though, and I've already read Turtles All the Way Down, All the Bright Places, Every Last Word, and other mental health-centered books. I mostly read YA, but adult or middle grade would be awesome, too. If there's an LGBT aspect, that would be a great bonus. Okay, I struggled with this. I went to the contributors and was like, please do help me. So Jamie Cannavese recommended Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson, which is a YA like mystery thriller, and it's the first in a series. Um, it's Blurbed is perfect for fans of Agatha Christie, and like, who's not a fan of Agatha Christie? <laughs> so I don't think I've ever met that person who's not a fan of Agatha Christie. Um, so it's about a small private school in Vermont called Ellingham Academy. Uh, it was founded by Albert Ellingham, who was like a 20th century, you know, financial tycoon guy. who wanted to make a school that was itself a physical place of like riddles and gardens um, and like games and things like that. So shortly after the school opened, his wife and his daughter are kidnapped. And there is uh, only one clue. It's a riddle listing like different, like various, various methods of murder. And it's signed, truly, comma, devious. And so the crime is never solved. And then you fast forward to present day and Stevie Bell, who is the main character, is about to start her first year at Ellingham Academy. She is a true crime, like, lover, loves true crime. And her goal is to go to this school and solve this cold case. Like, she wants to get there and figure out what happened to the founder's wife and daughter because it was never solved. Um, While she's also, like, getting a grip on her really heavy academic load and you know, learning how to deal with her roommate, also learning how to deal with her anxiety disorder. She has really frequent panic attacks on the page. And it's like a very important part of her lived experience in this academy doing these things that she wants to do. But then another death happens. Truly Devious takes credit for it all of these years later. And somebody has gotten away with murder. So these mysteries are woven together. And Stevie is like, here to figure it out. And there are two books after the first one, if you like it. So there is more to read. So that's Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson.
1: I had an idea for this question. And then I saw that in the thread where Amanda was asking for recommendations, Jessica Pride, who is on our When in Romance show, recommended a book and said, I would die for these characters. And I was like, well, clearly I need to read that. (laughs) The book is How to Be a Movie Star by T.J. Clune, And Oh my goodness. I laughed out loud. I got choked up. This book is a delight. And it is a really fascinating pairing. It is about, it's told from the perspective of Josie, short for Josiah Erickson, who is an un like, specified neurodiverse person. He lives in Los Angeles. He wants to be a movie star, as you might expect from the title. And he is also, like, a hipster stoner. And he sees the world in really fascinating ways that are also very entertaining. And he's also incredibly positive. And his superpower is that he 100% accepts himself and his friends for who they are. And, like, He knows that other people are perhaps not into how he is, and he just, he's so, it's amazing, like, he's so unstoppable, like, he just refuses to let that matter to him in a really lovely way. And he is also really good at radio trivia because Stoner, and so he wins <laughs> tickets to what he thinks is a poetry slam, and what is actually a reading of monster porn by a novelist who goes by the name of Cubert, and Cubert is has uh, intense anxiety and depression as he comes to find out, and um, Josiah is also uh, demisexual. And he develops a friend crush on Cuber. Like, he sees him and he's like, oh, my God, I must be this man's friend. Like, how can I make him be my friend? I'm so nervous. I just want him to be my friend. And, like, things do not get off to a good start. But then they start to connect. And it is so beautiful because, you know... He they're such foils for each other. Like, Hubert really struggles with his self-image and feelings of self-worth and, you know, has dealt with suicidal thoughts as a teenager and, like, has come a really long way but is still working so hard to deal with his anxiety and his depression. And Josie is working really hard to make his dreams happen against huge odds but is sort of just unstoppably positive and also so accepting. So it's really amazing to see them connect and be foils for each other and it is like i said i laughed out loud in certain points it's so funny it's so sweet and heartfelt and it is also if you're looking for good representation of characters on the ace spectrum there is like not a kiss until the last chapter but their dynamic develops in really lovely romantic intimate ways that are just not about physical attraction so that's fantastic I just loved this book. So again, that's How to Be a Movie Star by T.J. Klune. And our last question is from Michelle, who says, I love books that are about everything and nothing with a hint of magical realism. Some of my favorites are Wolf by Jim Harrison, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, The Stranger by Albert Camus, Secret History, Buried Giant, and Boy Snowbird. I'd love to discover less known writers. Fiction only, please. Can't wait to hear your picks. I am going to stop talking. Amanda.
0: <laughs> okay. A lot of those books are not magical realism, I just need to point out, which threw me for a loop, but they are like Gilead is about everything and nothing, so I think I see what you were saying here. Okay, I've never mind. I've talked myself out of everything (laughs) I was just about to say. So I picked Exit West by Mohsin Hamid, and this is a book that is about everything and nothing. And has a little bit of, I would call it fabulism, um, like a little bit of supernaturally what the heck is going on here. So it takes place in an unnamed country that is about to break out into civil war. And it's about Nadia and Saeed, who are two like young people who meet. They fall for each other. They have this really, you know, like intense kind of romantic connection. And as the country is becoming or as the city that they live in is becoming more and more dangerous, they're forced through like forced proximity. They become closer and closer in a like, well, like we can't leave this house now. So I guess we're going to talk to each other for several hours and get to know each other really well, kind of a thing. Um, So they become very intimate and fall in love and want to be together. And then the city really does fall completely apart. Um, and they hear rumors about doors that you can walk through, you pay a fee, you know, you walk through this door, and it spits you out somewhere safe. The catch is that you have no control over where you're going to end up. And some people end up in places that are like miserable, some people end up in places that are great. Um, and there's no way to move the doors. There's nothing, you know, the, the country's that have them can do about getting rid of them they're just there um so they decide they're going to leave they leave their homeland this unnamed country and their old lives their families they find a door and they leave and then you follow them from there like i feel like for a lot of books that would just kind of be the end of it like they go off into the sunset happily ever after but since this book is about you know everything and nothing it's about this couple finding love and going to safety but it's also about like the refugee crisis and like all you know violence and All these big questions that, like, plague humanity right now. And so you stay with them as you see what happens after, you know, a a couple who loves each other and is fleeing violence finds a safe place. And then what do they do? And not just what do they do, but, like, what if they don't like each other anymore? Or, like, what if that forced proximity that fostered this intimacy is now gone and they don't actually have to stay together What then? Like, what are they expected? to? It's just a lot of questions. It's about everything. It's about nothing. So that's Exit
1: West by Mohsin Hamid. Such a good book. Mm -hmm. I picked Tentacle by Rita Indiana, which is translated by Achi Obejas, which Amanda and I both read and talked about. I know before, but we haven't talked about it in a minute. (laughs) And it is such a perfect answer to this question. Uh, Trigger warnings for sexual assault, transphobia. excuse me. Transphobia, homophobia, use of slurs, and racism. Uh it's it's an it's an intense book, y'all. It's kind of like Cloud Atlas or a Chinese medieval novel, but uh set in you know Santo Domingo and by a woman of color. And it is just she's I mean, the woman is Dominican, so it's you know it's an own voices own community book, and it is Amazing and so strange and so weird. It has (laughs) multiple narrative strands that you have no idea how they're going to fit together until they do. And then it's like, what? Um, the main character, Asilda, is, uh, I don't, I don't even know like how to talk about the main character because the, it's so complicated, but, um, she has knows that she is meant to be a man um and so is working towards saving up for an operation when like there's this prophecy and a magical anemone and so you know there's a sex change by magic sort of and then Asilda goes on to live his life and but gets caught up in this whole Santeria thing and then there's climate change and like I it's there's so it's about everything. It's about absolutely everything. And it's about, you know, class. It's about racism. It's about homophobia and transphobia, obviously, but it's also about, you know, history, and it's about our future, and it does so much, and it's such a short book, which is bananas. Like, it's like 160 pages, but it packs such a big punch, and I think it's a book that you just need to be prepared to go along for the ride. Like, the actual plot is really amazing, but it's really hard to describe, and it kind of doesn't matter because you're in it for the experience, and I think given your reading tastes, like, this is an experience that you should definitely have. So that's Tentacle by Rita Indiana, translated by Achi Obejas. And that's our show. thank you all for listening to our ravings (laughs) we appreciate it if you're so inclined you can leave us a rating and or a review on apple podcasts which we also super appreciate it helps us to know what you think of the show and it also helps other people to find it thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible amanda where can people find you on social
0: In a hole. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Some
1: days it does feel like that. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time.